to reveal to all of mankind just how much the Lord God loves all of mankind, even when mankind is unlovable, which is most of the time. From the moment that the first family, by the names of Adam and Eve, decided that they knew better than God did, God begins telling and showing the rest of all of mankind His plan for reclaiming what were His glorious plans for man's future from the get-go. Last week I was noting in the book of Judges in chapter 13 as we continue through this, the similarities between the vignette that we are given describing the events surrounding Manoah and his wife and their impending pregnancy with the respect uh, to news of the arrival of the one that would be called Samson and the events surrounding Joseph and his wife thousands of years later in the New Testament Gospels. And what I wanted us to take away from that was the fact that the parallels between those two, two historical narratives that are thousands of years apart were not simply coincidental. If we were to, so to speak, take a high level or a high altitude view of the book, it's laid out for us in the very opening narratives of the beginnings of the book of Judges. You could call the beginning of the book of Judges there the cliff notes of the book of Judges. How many of you here are old enough to remember even what Cliff's Notes are? Okay, a lot of people, do they still even use those? Right, that's what I thought. Okay, there was one. Mm -hmm. See, what they were for was, for those who were less inclined toward actually reading books, as I was in those early days of the formation of my mind, You would be assigned one of the, usually a very boring book, at least in my estimation. Then again, all books were boring. And so instead of actually reading the book, knowing that you were going to be tested on it, you'd go out and you'd buy a copy of what were called Cliff's Notes. And it was just a little pamphlet that was a condensation that kind of gave you the the high-altitude view of the entire book. And a lot of people, good students, would use it to supplement the fact that they had already read the book and it helped refresh their mind. Other individuals did it so they didn't have to read the book. And then you had those in a very special class, those of us who walked in rarefied air, to whom even the Cliff's Notes were way too long and boring. I kid you not. The Lord said, Cripe, you're going to pay for this later in life, trust me. You will spend most of your lifetime reading. Yeah, right. Hmm. Well, what we see in that opening chapter, actually chapter 2 of the book of Judges, is truly a very nice condensation of the whole book. It tells us, and I'll give you just a little bit of the, the, the backdrop to chapter 2 beginning in verse 15, it was that God's people had learned to live their life their way instead of God's way. Nothing new there. And in verse 15 it says, And so wherever they went, God's people went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken, and as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. Then the Lord raised up judges. Not like, can't think about earthly judges and courts. That's not what they were at all. But he raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. 
You see, the people of Israel have been going at this time from generation to generation, experiencing seasons of national blessing where God would, in the midst of all the political turmoil and the geopolitical uh, considerations of the day and the warfare and everything else, God would raise up godly leaders specifically to draw the collective body of His people back to Himself. These godly leaders were called judges or deliverers, or very legitimately, translating the Hebrew word there, saviors of God's people. The theme is recurring not only in this book of Judges, but in fact, it is recurring for the whole of human history. If you want God on your side, you have to do life His way. This is so different from the norm today, where if we were honest with ourselves, the vast majority of people, and I'm talking now specifically, though, about God's people, who want to do life their way, and then demanding that God come alongside of them and make it all work out. Now, if I said nothing else this morning and that's all that you remember and take to heart, you will do yourself, you will do your spouse and your family and your legacy a blessed favor. Well, we're on the very last judge or savior that's highlighted in this book, which we began last May. And he's probably the most well-known of all the judges to the masses and probably for all the wrong reasons. The angel of the Lord appears to a man named Manoah. Uh, Excuse me. He appears to his wife, Manoah's wife. And to Manoah's wife, the angel conveys the good news, which, by the way, in the Koine Greek, the language of the New Testament, is spelled or at least translated into the English gospel. That's what gospel means, good news. It's the evangelium. And the good news that he gives to Manoah's wife is that she's going to bear a new judge, a new small s savior for the people of God. So we want to pick up where we left off last week in chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field, but Noah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. Then Manoah arose and followed his wife, and when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. Now, in the first service, and this was totally, totally, utterly impromptu, when I read those words this morning, the angel says to him, I am, I got stopped, and it wasn't an intentional stop or a pause, but it just smacked me as many times as I've been through the book of Judges over all the years of reading through the Bible, and as much as I've been steeped in it while I've been preaching through it, it never dawned on me that the angel that's appeared now to Manoah's wife for the second time, identifies himself as none other than I am. The unique, distinctive name of Yahweh, of Jehovah, as he revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. 
Manoah said, Now when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? And so the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. Now, did you catch the fact that the angel came to Manoah's wife, even though it was Manoah asking for him to come to him and to them? And Manoah's wife ends up relaying to him what the angel said. In verse 8, Manoah prays the Lord to let the angel come to them a second time, and the angel comes to Manoah's wife. So Manoah's wife runs and gets Manoah, telling him that the man who came and spoke to her had come back again. And she takes her husband to the man who was the angel. All right, the first thing that Manoah asks is, Are you the man that came to my wife before? And I have to think that by this time, in Manoah's repetition, in his incessant sort of what's almost bordering on male nagging now, that Manoah's wife's eyes are probably rolling up into her head. So now the big burning question that was so important to Manoah that he had to ask the angel to come back. He asks in verse 12, What shall be the boy's lifestyle or his manner of living and his calling? Interestingly enough, the angel doesn't answer his question, except to say, I answered that question. Your wife heard me loud and clear, and she told you about it. So listen to your wife. Hmm. Let's keep those elbows tucked in today, okay? Some commentators have implied that Manoah wasn't exactly the quickest anchovy in the school, if you know what I mean. I think that may be a little harsh, but maybe just a little. But what I do know is that there are differences, especially in this whole area of assimilation of information and then retelling it. There are differences between men and women, in case you haven't noticed. (laughs) Amens are okay, elbows not so much. Men tend to skip specifics, reducing details down to a bottom line. Now, these are generalizations, of course, and there's always exceptions, but this is a pretty good rule. Women tend to itemize details and then maybe arrive at a bottom line, but not necessarily. Let me illustrate this point that came from uh, your personal experiences in the early days of my marriage, because now being married 40 years, you've got it all figured out, you've got it all worked out, and it's nothing but coasting along from here on. Wink, wink. I would get off the phone with my mom, who had many words to share and still does, And if I was on a 25-minute phone call, which was short only because I shortened it, and then Barb would invariably say, well, what would your mom have to say? And I go, eh, nothing really. Well, is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. There you go. Hey, I gave her the important information. My mother is fine. Now take Barb. She gets off the phone with her mom, usually 
a longer conversation. But let's say, use our imaginations and say it was 30 minutes. I had to change this up a little bit when Barb was in here the first service. Anyway, but and this is our little secret, right? Yeah, right. Sure it is. You are so in trouble, Pastor. So Barb would get off the phone call with her mom, and she would proceed. Notice I didn't ask. She would proceed to give me the blow-by-blow recounting of the conversation that lasted almost as long as the conversation itself. And then I pretend, I mean, I genuinely showed my interest and concern and said, wow, yeah, hmm. (laughs) Could you keep it down a little bit, though? The golf's on right now, okay? Just... Uh, Yeah, sure. Well, these gender-selective communication differences, as I'll call them, also played out and play out depending on who answers the phone when you happen to call home. When my dad was alive, it was a rare experience that my father would even answer the phone, but occasionally... For some reason, maybe my mom was indisposed. My dad would end up picking the phone up, and he'd say, hello. And I'd say, hey, Dad, it's me. he go, oh, hey, son, how are you? Good. The kids? Yeah. Fine. Barb? Good. Okay, here, talk to your mom. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I, and my mom would gladly take over. <laughs> you know that 25,000, 10,000 word? Yeah, it's absolutely. Some women, though, have more than 25,000 words. I'm just cluing you in. All right, well, what this means is, is that if I am God, that's a stretch, <laughs> and I want something, though, of, a, of an important and detailed message to be transmitted to someone or a group of someones, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to a woman and give her the information. God knows these differences because He made them. And this is why when God is getting Abraham... Now, Abraham, remember who Abraham was. He's, the, the, in a sense, the founder. Bad way of putting it, but the patriarch. He is the father of the nation of Israel, of God's people. Abraham. And so when God is ready to commission Abraham to go out and, uh, and do what God wants him to do... The sum total of the conversation is recorded in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, Abram, go forth from your country to the land which I will show you. End of conversation. Click. Okay, that's called paucity. <laughs> that means a few words. Now, i got to think that Abram was like, uh, well, okay, um little hint here as to, like, where I'm heading, what city, what name, what... Yeah, just go, and I'll show you as you go. You'd screw it up anyway, so just get moving. Well, do I start out north, and do I start out south, east, or west? Just, just go, and I'll take care of it, okay? Now, you could understand this a little better if, before the days of GPS, what a godsend GPS has been. Unlike a lot of men... Stereotypically, I was not one of those who would not stop to ask directions. If I did, I'd still be out there roaming around trying to find my way home from high school. So I got used to asking for directions. It was always a fearful thing to do, 
as a male when I was in the car by myself. But on this one day in particular, I pulled into a gas station, and God love her, with the natural-born innate GPS that Barb has. She was sitting in the passenger seat, and I rolled down the window and asked this woman that was at a gas station, I said, can you tell me how to get there? Oh, yeah. You go to the driver here, you take a right, you're going to go down to the, not the first right, but the second right, the second right that's over there by the golf station on the right-hand side. You're not going to go there, you're going to turn the other way, and you go for about a half a mile, and you're going to go to where there used to be this great big sprawling oak tree, but it's not there anymore. You want to take a right there, and then you keep on going about three-tenths of a mile until you see the sign that says, Slow children, I don't know what that's all about, and then you're going to go, and I, okay, she lost me at the driveway. Right? But you're a guy, so you're going, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh, okay, oh, yeah. And you roll up the window, and you're like, I have no clue in the world where I'm going. I forgot now if I go left or right out of the driveway of the gas station. But Barb was there. She probably didn't need it. She's just like, mm, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, right here. Do you, <laughs> do you ever argue with your wife, right? Honey, I... I know better than this, but this, I'm, this feels so much like we've got to go this way. Fine, go that way. Don't go that way. Okay? <laughs> Never. So I'm sorry. God says, wow. Oh, my goodness. Libby's rolling, right? Oh. Okay. Um, anyway. Hey, praise the Lord. Let's get up and go home. All right. <laughs> So God just tells Abram, knowing what his capacity is for information, to get up and go. So the Lord doesn't answer Manoah's question. He just repeats what the angel had already told his wife and what she had already told her husband, Manoah. But it's not like this repetition is merely to insult Manoah's grasp of things but rather it is to underscore the uniqueness of Samson's call from the Lord. Samson, the one who was going to be born to Manoah and his wife. You see, last week I talked about the vow of the Nazir, or the Nazarite. And the vow normally is taken by the one who is going to be under that vow. But in Samson's case, he was going to be separated. I noted the word last week actually means holy. He was going to be holy right out of the womb. Not as he's born and he's old enough to come to his own senses and to be able to take the vow of the Nazarite for himself. He is special in so many different ways, and he's going to be separated and holy right from the womb. And he's special even more than the rest of the judges in this book for these reasons. He's separated from the womb in a holy state. And so if his mother blows it, meaning fails to live up to the vows of what the Nazarite vow calls for, then the calling on Samson is void because the details, here it is, because the details of Samson's arrival must be precise. Because Samson is a picture of not just a small s savior or judge, but rather the savior judge promised from of old. Let's look at verse 15. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. 
And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Parenthetically, we are told, again, to underscore this, that Manoah didn't know this wasn't just an angel, but in fact this was the angel of the Lord that appeared already to Gideon. Meaning, this is none other than Jesus in His pre-incarnate, in His pre-flesh, pre-appearing in Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, because unlike Jehovah's Witnesses that believe Jesus came into being, meaning begotten of the Father, therefore He is a small g God, we know that Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is ever eternal, omnipresent, omniscient, and did not come into being. He's always been there. This is a, a, an actual appearance of the Lord Jesus before He is even born. This is not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. Again, hence the significance of Him saying, I am. Verse 17. Manoah says to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come to pass, we might, may honor you. He's still kind of clueless. See, this was, was kind of typically what you would do for a prophet that happened along and gave you some good news that actually came to pass. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Seeing that my name is Pele in the Hebrew. Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? In Isaiah chapter 9, probably the most often read scriptural passage during the time of Christmas from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6. We read it, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, because it is the foretelling of the coming Savior of mankind. This is what we read in Isaiah 9, 6. A child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Pele. Wonderful. Yoetz, Counselor, Aviad, Eternal Father, El Gabor, Mighty God, and Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah uses the same name for the angel that's used here for Jesus. Verse 19, So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and he offered it on the rock to the Lord and he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And what I did, because that's where I have to cut it today because of Advanced Sunday, awkward though it is, is, I was going to go about this in a little different way, but this is what I'm going to do in light of having to cut it here. Next week, I'm going to give you a little assignment. I want you to go back and read Judges chapter 13. And when you get to this place where they offer up the burnt offering, I want you to put yourself in the historical narrative so that you... If you're not offering the burnt offering, you're at least there to witness and observe all this. And there you see this very human, normal, human-looking individual who is anything but normal. And as the flames are going up, taking up the offering, he rises up into the flames. 
and disappears into the heavens. Put yourself there and experience it. Let me have you stand. Again, we're going to release early. We ask the men to stay behind for just a few minutes. And uh, Pastor Brent is a short video and then uh, some thoughts to take with you for the week to help make you better men, better husbands, better fathers, and just better individuals to the glory of the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you. (laughs) Thank you that you are the wonderful, wondrous working God. And your ways are so beyond ours. And you truly do love us even when we are unlovable. We praise you today. Amen. Thank you.